and welcome to the Feedback Force podcast, the game design analysis podcast of the End Defender community. I am Kelso. And I am Kyla. And I'm Carl. And we're back again after my internet uh, ate some shit last weekend. Yep. And it's better. <laughs> we're better now. I, I am the comfiest right now. Cozy cast. I dragged, I dragged in the recliner chair from the living room to sit in while doing the podcast. Because A, I want to be comfy, and B, also I can't spend more than like an hour on my desk chair right now because I threw out my back this past week. So. That, is, that is too bad. What, what are the odds that you just leave the recliner in there forever now? But unfortunately, <laughs> it's like a little too low to ask access my computer so i'm like looking oh. up at my computer like it's a shrine <laughs> so you need to get one of those like arm mounts so that you can just pull the monitor like right right up into your face yeah or like a one of those unfolding things to just to have the keyboard like come right in front of me yeah um, there's books on the back legs of the table well the the table is not the table is fine i just need i would need to to raise up the chair um, if I was gonna do that, but books eh. under the chair. Yeah, books under it's, the chair. It's fine. It's fine. I'll just I. You can I, solve everything with books. It's true. <laughs> I think usually that's not what people mean when they say that. Uh, <laughs> it's actually like uh, I I have um for my for my pen input monitor. I just got like a laptop stand to put it on, and I thought that I would be able to put it at a more vertical angle, but it basically stops at like 45 degrees, which is not what I wanted, so put some books under it, and it works! It's at a much better angle now, so yes, I stand by books. It's true. I did for years have a uh, uh, biography of um, fucking Apple dude, um, Steve Jobs. Uh, propping up my uh, computer monitor, like it was underneath the monitor, just raising it up a little bit, which was hilarious because <laughs> it's a PC. Um, yeah. You did it on purpose. No, it was the thickest book I had. Like the book was given to me as like a Christmas present, and I needed like a really thick book to prop up the monitor, something that was really sturdy, and it was the best book I had for it. So <laughs> the irony was just an added bonus. Yeah, it's like the thing of uh, repurposing old textbooks as monitor stands and that being like the most expensive cost inefficient thing that you could possibly use to hold up your computer but what what else are you going to use them for you bought them now they're just $400 paperweights yep oh american education I remember one year of uh, when i was in school in denver our our textbook buyback day in Denver, was on 420. <laughs> so, so you know what we all immediately turned around and used that money for. Mm-hmm. It's nice. like it's like they did it on purpose. Wait, is that a real cost for a like a textbook? Uh, for some of the bigger ones like math and science textbooks, yeah, they can be like three, four hundred bucks. Yeah, or like our art history textbooks, Jesus. which were. Yeah. Huge and full of color images and also hardbound. Yeah. I don't think I spent over a hundred dollars. Damn. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's the the textbook industry in the U.S. is kind of a scam. It's it, like, yeah. it's real bad. And like most colleges will let you sell them back when you're done, but at like a really like not great rebate, you know, like yeah. you you get maybe half of that back. That yeah. doesn't mean you can buy them for half back. Yeah, so you can get you can get used ones, um, which usually people try and do as much as possible. Uh, these days, most people like go online and try and just get them off of like used on Amazon or whatever because that's the cheaper way to do it. Um, but yeah, you can buy them used. If you buy them used from a school bookstore, they're still gonna hike up the price like crazy. It's not gonna be four hundred, but it's still gonna be like three hundred. Yeah, and the problem with buying books used is that uh, frequently they will uh, they will try to push you really, really hard into getting the most current edition, which you will have to purchase new. Uh, which doesn't always matter, but sometimes sometimes they can. They can fuck you over for not doing yeah. that. There's a lot of there's a lot of difference between like some professors who really push this whole thing, like you must get the most recent thing and you know pay the exorbitant price. Usually, those are professors who have written the textbook that they are assigning for the class. I was just gonna say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there are professors who are like, man, this whole thing is a real fucking scam, huh? Well, I'm just going to make a PDF of our textbook available for free online, so pretend you bought it, and then go secretly look at this link. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever, so... Yeah. The, the I mean, two... I had a professor that, like, he showed in his slides, he had, like, a Google, like how to Google the torrent for the textbook. <laughs> yes! Nice. That's amazing. Because nice. the textbook was really expensive. Yeah. And I would say I would say four hundred is like probably the upper limit. Like you're probably not going to get a lot more yeah. expensive than that. Like, and it it's worse for like certain types of books. Like, I think um, like medical text stuff is like if you're pre med or whatever is really really expensive. But if you're like an English major and you're getting poetry anthologies, you're probably only spending like sixty bucks or something on that. Yeah, I um actually now that I'm thinking about it, I. I just realized I should go in and check and see if I still have access to all of my uh, ebooks, uh, which it looks like I do, because I realized recently that um, so my my school had like a group plan um, for digital tutors or plural site I guess it's called now, which is like a subscription service that has a lot of really good like long tutorial courses for tons of different software, um, and I still have access to that. Which I shouldn't at this point. I should have had my access revoked by now. Um, <laughs> I was talking to my old coworker who graduated about six months after I did, and he's like, "Yep, yeah, so that's probably because they don't have any uh, actual dedicated IT staff at our school anymore, and it's all just like student workers." <laughs> so, um, so nobody probably knows that they're supposed to deactivate anything. Yeah, exactly. let alone like know how to do it. Exactly. So uh, it looks like I might. Oh, maybe no. Okay, it, I don't. I don't have access to my textbooks anymore. But I have access to what might be a an expensive subscription service that I could just still just use to learn stuff. So that's good. Cool. Yeah. So, a uh, big week, a big couple of weeks in the gaming world right now because we just got done with E3 and we're just starting on GDQ. Mm-hmm. 
So anybody have any like favorite announcements from E3 or stuff they're looking forward to? Mine is I'm I'm just straight up all Kingdom Hearts. Like that's the only thing I cared about at E3 yeah. this year. Yeah. So I was like hyped for some titles, but they were only titles that didn't show gameplay. Oh no. Was it like Starfield so, like, and and no, Elder Scrolls announced? Or no, I don't care about anything. Okay. I can't like I don't like I want the new Doom. Oh yeah, yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah. Control looks weird. Could be cool. There's but, there's a, a handful of gameplay floating around for that. That like, there? Yeah, they they only showed it to press. So they're like you'd have to look for it on like actual outlets. But there there's definitely small amounts of gameplay for that. So I would look that up for sure. Yeah. And uh, maybe like a new Wolfenstein. I didn't even know that either of these things were a thing. Yeah, I I was already hyped for Cyberpunk, and I still am hyped for oh, yeah. Cyberpunk. Whew. Yeah. I, I refuse to get hyped before they show anything. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I trust CD Projekt, I guess. So, so. I, I said I would have played, I would have, like like The Witcher, if they just did something that to make it interesting. And uh, this setting already does it for me. Well, that's nice. good. Yeah. I, um... What is this setting of The New Witcher? Oh, it's, uh... Um, oh, like, uh... Yeah, it's Cyberpunk 2077, which is a, a spin-off of a tabletop game series, Cyberpunk... Oh, nice. 20... I don't remember what the year is, is that, in the... Is that the one where people were complaining all over my Twitter about how, like, the... the Based on the what the devs are saying, it sounds like it's basically just body shaming. Like, you shouldn't alter your body in any way, because it makes you unclean, or something like that. I have no idea. I, I read those I quotes... I don't frequent your Twitter. I read those <laughs> quotes, and I get, I get the impression that people are misinterpreting those quotes... As the devs saying, altering your body makes you unclean, and I think that that's not what they believe. That's just like a an ideal that people probably would hold in a time when bodily modifications are easily accessible. Um, and that's like a theme. That's not the, what they think, but that's a theme. Um, that's. I guess we'll see when the game comes out. Yeah. So, I feel like this happens a lot on my Twitter and social media where people will take like a tiny fragment of information about something that's coming out and blow it entirely out of proportion to get mad about it. Yeah. It hap it happens yeah. these days. Um <laughs> There's um, a lot of angry people on Twitter during yeah. E3. Yeah. <laughs> um I mean I was I was hoping to see some of Starfield just because, like, it's a Bethesda game, and I'll play it, and I'll enjoy it, and it will not age well, because that's how <laughs> Bethesda games work. Uh, I was pleased to have the Elder Scrolls announced, even though that's, like, we're not going to see that until, like, 2020 at the earliest, probably, and and more... It'll be Yeah, yeah, exactly, and more likely it'll be, like, three or four years from now. Uh, but, yeah, Control was, like, the big, the big sleeper hit. Like, they had no leaks, it was completely unexpected, and, yeah, I was watching the conference with a friend, and that started, like, the trailer started playing, and I was like, is this a 
remedy game? This looks like a remedy game. And then it was. And it was great. And I'm riding that hype train so hard. So, so you'll, you'll thought, have to give me more detail about that because I have no idea what you're talking about. I really don't want them to name it Control because it's the most forgettable name. It's... Mentioned potentially confusing with when you start talking about the controls of the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, basically, it looks like it's heavily inspired by like SCP stuff, or if not inspired by it, it draws a lot of parallels to like SCP stuff. If you're familiar with that. Nope. Uh, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the SCP wiki is a like crowd crowd driven. Um, thing about a like shadowy government organization that SCP stands for secure contain protect and they they deal with uh anomalous objects that behave in ways that are strange and frequently very dangerous so the whole goal of the organization is to secure contain and protect these objects um and there's a lot of stuff that looks a lot like that going on in control. Spooky weird stuff. Yeah, spooky weird stuff. Okay. So. I mean, I, I understand the draw of spooky weird. Yeah, and you get uh, a cool magic gun, and it looks like there are a lot of, like, dream sequences and stuff. And they were talking, well, the head writer was talking about how uh, ritual is a big aspect of the game. Which is vague, but cool. <laughs> I'm into that, so, yeah. That's, that's interesting. I, I'll be interested to see how that pans out, because I, I literally had a classmate whose entire thesis was about ritual and how that can be applied to games. I doubt it he meant it in the same way that this is meant, though. Probably, but, yeah. That would be interesting to read. Anyway. It, yeah, so... Mm. I I am excited that Kingdom Hearts 3 has a release date. Yeah. Theoretically. Uh, and also Frozen World's going to be in it, which is cool. By the way, can we talk about... Can someone at Kingdom Hearts, like, hire a real person that does, like, trailers? Or a real <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're not great. It's like, here's some stuff. Here's some other stuff. More stuff. Stuff. I mean, stuff, at least they stuff. show, like, gameplay and things. Yeah, I just... I'm, ex I'm excited. And they had, like, four different ones. Yeah, they do. And they've... To be fair, they've been, like, trickling out tiny bits of trailer for, like, the past five years or whatever, so... <laughs> yeah. Like, I... it's all kind of stuff we've seen already. <laughs> Except, so, like, what what we got here was, like, the little clips of the new things that weren't in all the previous trailers. Yeah, it's like they, I think there were, like, three, Kingdom Hearts 3 was at, I think, three different press conferences, and everyone had, like, a, a slightly different piece of footage in each one or something like that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard to maintain hype for so long because it's been so long since Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah. And I mean to be fair it's not like there haven't been any Kingdom Hearts releases since then because there's all the side games but still. It, it's funny I was 
reading someone's like tweets about uh they a recap video of everything that has like happened in the series so far and what you need to know about uh, uh about what has happened before you go into Kingdom Hearts 3 and they said that there was like 5 seconds of footage from Kingdom Hearts 2 and everything else was the spin-offs <laughs> which sounds about right yeah, you know, I'm not actually that surprised. Like, Kingdom Hearts 2 does not progress the main story in a lot of ways. Like, at least not... Like, Kingdom Hearts 2 is, like, the big showy set PC type things. And then, like, the side games are all... Oh, you wanted to know about the lore? <laughs> Here's all the lore! And so, uh... Yeah. yeah. So if you're t- if you're actually doing a like here's how everything fits together, you're mostly going to do the side games. Um although I will say that the the 3DS version, uh Dream Drop Distance made uh like actually made strides to push forward the main plot. Like it takes place after Kingdom Hearts 2 and it actually like does set up important things in Kingdom Hearts 3. And it's actually my favorite of the games. Even though um, I know a lot of people really don't like it um, because it's the game that uh, introduced time travel into the narrative. Oh, yeah. And so people are like, well, fuck it, I'm out. (laughs) Um, But, like, I actually think outside of that, it's, like, it's one of the funnest games in the series. It just has, like, super, super juicy mechanics. And I'm fine with the story. Like, the, the time travel thing is just, is just, like, set up a little bit at the end, and it's goofy, and, you know, like, they haven't even really done anything with it yet. So, like, I think it's the Kingdom Hearts 3 that's going to be the super nutso one <laughs> in terms of story. Yeah. Kingdom Hearts feels to me a sort of similar to, like, Resident Evil, where the story at this point has just gotten so convoluted and out of hand and gigantic that it's like, you might as well just go along for the ride, you know? You might as well just strap in and, and enjoy. So Yeah, let's be honest. The strength of the Kingdom Hearts game is not the story. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. And it's it's the story stuff is all like I mean it, it all rolls based on kind of intuition. Like, oh like there, it's good fighting bad, and everyone has a little bit of good and bad in them. And like, this is the personification of the bad parts of this person, and this is the personification of the good parts of this person. And if you just sort of go with like, the people who seem good are probably good, the people who seem bad are probably bad. Like, this, you're pretty much ninety percent there. Yeah. So anyway, uh. I am excited for that. Yeah, I know I'm a lot also, of people are excited for that. Yeah, um, I'm also excited about GDQ starting because yes. I love me some speedrun marathons. And Covert Muffin's doing a game this afternoon. He's war, uh, speedrunning Warcraft Three, which should be interesting. <laughs> nice. I don't even know. I don't. I know so little about RTSs that it's like I don't even know how you would speedrun an RTS. But hey, I'm sure it's possible. I am, I'm excited because that's a genre you don't normally see at speedruns, and I'm excited to see how that goes. There's also, they're playing a bunch of stuff that I played on my stream, like both of the Zelda games that I played uh, on my stream, and Final Fantasy VI is like the finale this year. 
Oh god. Uh, oh god. <laughs> they're doing another Undertale run. I don't know. No, there's some cool stuff. There is a Kingdom Hearts. Uh, there's at least one Kingdom Hearts game in the list. Uh, I think it's the 1.5 remix. Uh, Legend of Zelda: Oracle of Seasons is being played, hmm. which is one of my favorites. So there's hey, some cool stuff. Wonder who's by. Uh, for Oracle of Seasons. Yeah. Because uh, I I have. Megatron. Oh. Because <laughs> okay. I have a friend that. Has run Oracle of Seasons at DDQ before. Nice. Yeah, I I have seen clips from one previous run, so I'm I'm curious how that will go. It is an any percent run, so at two uh, just over two hours. That was one of those games that I had during my period where I pretty much only had like handhelds. Um, and so I played the heck out of, like, some Legend of Zelda for handhelds. Mm, yeah. I, I like, Oracle of Seasons and Ages and uh, Link's Awakening were, like, the big ones that I played over and over. Yeah, I remember. I, I was really sick, like, for a week and a half, and I, I didn't get out of the couch. So I just played Oracle of Seasons over and over and over <laughs> and over again. I think you played it ten times in a row. Yep, that sounds about right. Okay. It's a good game. Like, the mechanics in those two games are yeah, really fun. fun. Yeah. And they have, like, a fun thing where um, they're, like, a paired... The games are paired in such a way that when you finish one game, it gives you, like, a code, and then you can start the other game uh, and input that code, and it changes some of the things that happen in the game based on what you did in the other game. So you can sort of play it in either order. So you could, if you play Ages first, then you get a different Seasons game, and then you play Seasons first and get a different Ages game. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool. I always wish they would do more some more stuff like that in like the Pokemon games, and make it a little more worthwhile to get both, rather than yeah. just like here's two Pokemon that you can only get through trading. Like even yeah. even version exclusives are. Uh, there were a lot fewer than there were in the past, it seems like. But that being said, I don't... I, I, mm, my relationship with Pokemon goes in in waves these days, and I'm not super interested in Let's Go Pikachu slash Eevee, because I have literally never played Pokemon Go, and I know there's, yeah. there's like, Go, uh, like, functionality, that, or there's things in Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee that you can only do if you play Go, and I'm like, well, I'm just not buying that game at all, then. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, I, uh, I have such mixed feelings about Pokemon Go, I really do. Because the, the part of me that, like, grew up desperately wanting Pokemon to be real is, like, so excited by the very concept of Pokemon Go. But then the game designer in me is like, this is the worst design, there's no game in this game. Yeah. Like you you're literally building on like a a uh you know a franchise and a a game concept and a game series that have like really simple easy to implement mobile mechanics and you didn't fucking implement them. Yeah. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? Not to mention like the huge issue of locale. Like I could have played a lot of Pokemon Go like in Seattle. That that's a good place to do that. Now I live in the middle of fucking nowhere. There's, like, even if I wanted to play the game, I could not 
where I live. So is there not is there not a lot of um um Machima faces on the uh, like are there not a lot of grass Pokemon out in the woods or anything like that? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't I haven't played it, but like it seems like rural areas really get shafted from what I have yeah. heard. So and that's, I. But that's been true for the mainstream pokemon games too anytime they introduce a mechanic where it's like hey if you leave the ds on like listen mode then you know and people pass by you you'll get like special gifts from like interacting with their ds or like trading with people and it's like well i know no other people near me who have this game and i don't interact with other humans on a regular basis so i guess i'm fucked yeah and the thing about those features like the what, what was it the the like mystery club mystery gift, but there was like the clubhouse mechanic mm, in yeah. uh, uh, Ruby Sapphire, and it's like that's fun to play with for like a second, and then I stopped caring, so I didn't feel bad not not like interacting with that. But it's like I don't know, Pokemon Go feels a lot different in that respect. Mm-hmm. Like I, I say, have it, oh, it's kind of hard shitting on Pokemon Go when it's like the most popular game ever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and there are things that are really cool. I just wish that the like first really big, um, like risk taking, uh, you know, AR game, uh, had more game in it. And I'm sad that it doesn't. I wish I wish there were more than just the one company doing those kinds of games. Yeah. Um, like fucking their other game that 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 uh, Pokemon Go is basically a skin of. Yeah, Ingress. Um, yeah, Ingress didn't have any fucking mechanics either. It's like it's it was like real space territory control, which is fine, but like put some mechanics more than just that are just geo related, right? Like if you had geo related and and also a game mechanic, it would be great. Yeah. Yeah, but you maybe. So I'm worried that yeah. the thing with I the keep Pokemon thinking Go... like a new audience brings in they bring in bring in so much of a newer audience. It's true, but the problem is that um, I feel like with um, so what I notice happening with Pokemon Go is that it goes in these really big like sudden waves that die down very quickly. So, like, whenever there are new Pokemon released, everyone gets really excited for, like, a month or two, and then just completely drop it, right? And you don't hear anything about Pokemon Go for a little bit until they release new content. And I think if they had a a mechanic that could sustain during the time when they're not releasing new Pokemon, like, it would actually, like, maintain their base a lot better. It would give people something to do during that downtime. Yeah, I, I also feel like there are a lot of people who probably play Go that would be much less amenable to sitting down and playing a traditional Pokemon game. Yeah, yeah, and for sure I don't necessarily yeah, but... want it to be like straight up Pokemon. Yeah, but you could you could put something in there. You could do like a a twist on a match three or something else casual that like people who just play casual mobile games could still enjoy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess my my point is that I think having stuff locked out for Pokemon Go in Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because I feel like there's going to be a lot less overlap than they're expecting for those kind yeah. of for yeah. those two player I mean, bases. Pokemon Go, it was like a game for 
for a new audience as yeah. well as an old audience. But Pokemon Let's Go, it's more like here's a Pokemon game for the traditional audience. Yeah, that also forces you to go outside. <laughs> I like or, it's, not, not it's not a bad it's thing. Encouraging yeah. You. yeah, no, I don't think that's bad necessarily, but. I remember when um, the, the Gold and Silver remakes came out and they had the Pokewalker. And uh, my my boyfriend at the time and I would just go walk around our college town for like hours with our Pokewalkers uh, in the middle of the night because we were we were like weird antisocial weirdos together. Uh, nice. But still. Also, I think the, the coolest thing about Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee is that they also brought back the um, heart gold soul silver mechanic of your Pokemon just follows you around in the overworld and that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I like and that. You can have an Eevee on your hat. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that alone makes me kind of like you know shyly look back and like, well, maybe I should. I really don't want the Eevee on my hat, but Eevee's also. I don't like Eevee as Pokemon. I'm not no. a big fan either. There was especially a- especially when it can't. Evolve. Yeah. I'm a Vaporeum fan. Yeah. I... Hmm, that's a good question. Which Eevee evolution? Oh, um, but I don't know the new ones. Yeah. I, I don't I don't have a strong opinion. I, I like them best as a set. I think it, it like doesn't work as well for me if you, you know, break them apart. But... Um, and I did try at one point in, like, one of the very early games to have an all Eevee team. Um, to see, like, you know, if I could get one of each of the... This is when they, they announced the second two. Mm. I was like, oh, cool. So you can have, you know, regular, normal-type Eevee, and then Espeon and Umbreon, and then the original three, you know, Jolteon, Flareon, Vaporeon, and then you have... A, that's six! You have a full team! And that was very exciting. Yeah. Uh, but I was going to say, there's a, there was a cute Twitter thread going around um, that I think was actually just based on a Tumblr post, uh, that said, like, I think it's really cool that there are so many Pokemon, and yet, like, every Pokemon is somebody's favorite Pokemon. And then the thread, the entire thread just became people, like, saying who their favorites were. Nice. And I scrolled down so far before I finally got to Crobat, who is probably my favorite. Crobat! Yes! I love me some Crobat. Yes, yes, yes. Crobat Although is I did, I good. did come early on to Chandelure, who's another mm. like very high up there for me. Yeah, it it it's only within the last few years that I've realized. For the longest time, I thought Ghost type was my favorite, but then I realized that it was actually Poison type. Nice. And it's like the whole world has opened up to me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Not quite, but I I yeah. You like poison. I like poison. It's You're wrong. Good. You get you get your you... yeah. Because you overtime damage. Like, you, who doesn't like that? You get your Crobat, and you get your uh, Toxicroak. Talk, I love Toxicroak and Crobat. I have no idea who these Pokemons are. <laughs> Crobat is the final evolution of the little Zubat from the first game. The, one of the most common trash Pokemon. A Golbat? Uh, no, well, so it used to be just Zubat and Golbat. Uh, and then later they introduced Crobat, which is one of those evolutions that you can only get via, like, the Pokemon loves you enough. Yeah. Uh, and it's big enough that you can ride it, so it can be your flying Pokemon. 
And oh my god, I've won so many flying battles with this crowbat. It is so fast. They <laughs> yeah. are just so fast. They always go first. Yep. Yep. And they can learn some cool flying type moves, and they can learn some cool poison moves. So, and you can still, if you want to, you can still do, like, Zubat bullshit of confusing people all the time so they can't attack. <laughs> yep. Like, it's great. It's a great Pokemon, and I love it. Yep. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm too late for Pokemon. <laughs> I miss too many games. You're younger, you're up. younger than both of us. You can't possibly <laughs> be too late, Carl. I did. I did miss. I mean, I, pl I played the first one, and then I skipped like every single game after that. I mean, they're all the same. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but I don't know the Pokemon. That's fine. Uh, That's what the internet's for. Yeah, I was gonna say buy buy one of those like, you know, forty pound books. That's just like a Pokedex that has all of them in. I, I love books now. I wouldn't I even them posters. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly. Well, I act I actually had a Pokedex book first gen. And it was very small, and I wish I still had it, because that would be, like, a super cute collector's item to have. Just, like, here's all the Pokemon, all 150. Yep. <laughs> it was actually yeah. a really cute book, because it, like, every page had, like, the, uh, like, the UI of the Pokedex. And then it had all the information, like, within it, which was cute. Nice. Hey. I, I think I had, I had, so, like... From the beginning, they've always sold, like, a Pokedex peripheral uh, book with each of the games, pretty much. And I got them for, like, the first four generations or so. And then it became like, oh, I can just look this up on the internet. I really don't need a book for this. Yeah. But but they got they got pretty thick before I stopped. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> you, could, you could use them as weapons at this point. After Sun and Moon, there's like a thousand, over a thousand now, aren't there? I think so. Let's see. Let's let's oh, Google God. this. How many Pokemon are there? Uh, I mean, you could just tell me. <laughs> Interesting. Google is usually better about that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, okay, according to Wikipedia, there are 807 at this point. So we're not quite at the thousand mark. We'll be there very soon. Yeah, we're getting there. Um, I I haven't played the Sun and Moon games because I I promised myself I wouldn't if I didn't finish the previous series and I never finished uh, Pokemon X. So I felt bad buying a new game without finishing the old one. But now I'm I'm a little bit regretting that decision. <laughs> I don't know. I I really liked X um, X and Y. I. They, I had a lot of fun. I actually played. That's the only one like since my childhood that I've played more than once. Uh, Sun and Moon, I didn't have quite as much fun with. Like I, I didn't even finish all of the post game stuff if I remember correctly. And then they made Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, and I just didn't care at all. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, that's good to know. Um, I'm told that the like the the Alola gym system was very different, where it's like island mm. masters instead of gyms or something. Yeah, it is, and I I should be able to explain how it's different, but it's been so long since I played Sun and Moon that I <laughs> that I probably can't. However, I did buy Detective Pikachu the day it came out. Oh, after after two years of waiting for it to finally get localized. How uh, was it? It's. Very obviously a game for small children. It was wholesome and enjoyable. 
and very short. I mean, not like super short, but it it wasn't more than like, I don't know, a few hours. Okay. But I'm still glad that I bought it and played it. Yeah, I might have to do that at some point. That thing looks adorable. Yeah, it's really cute. And <laughs> just just like the the Pikachu voice with his like grizzled old <laughs> private detective sort of thing. It's so good. So oh, I man. I didn't buy the giant detective Pikachu amiibo though. I feel like maybe I should have, but that was an extra like twenty bucks, and I just didn't want to. Didn't want to drop that cash on it, so. All right. Yeah. Well, can I, can I say, speaking of grizzled old detectives. Yes! Uh, guess which game we played this week? Yes! We played yes. the silver case. Oh, good segue. <laughs> uh, I was waiting to leap on top of that. Yes. I didn't even set that up on purpose. You just, you just <laughs> took the initiative. Damn. <laughs> um. So yeah, we played the Silver Case, which is a Suda 51 game, and I I think we might have some fighting that we're gonna do in this episode <laughs> for this game. I think I think I think we I don't not, fight. I, I think I think we have impassioned disagreements. Yeah. Also, uh, you shouldn't be fighting in your injured state, so you can yeah, you no. can fight with your words. I so I can fight. Okay. <laughs> Carl, Carl and I will will spar probably because Carl, I believe you really enjoyed this game, if I'm not mistaken. I did. Yes, and I, I have I'm no very... idea what it's about. But... Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, uh, I 100%ed it, so I enjoyed it at least enough to do that. I, I guess I liked it, but I feel like at the same time, I wouldn't characterize my experience as having been fun or even really enjoyable at, at any point. <laughs> it's such a strange thing, so we'll get into that. Um, I guess I will right. I will talk about the game. Yeah, I was going to say, summarize it for us as best you can. So, and keep in mind, for the record, I only played, a, this is like a 12 to 16 hour game, and I only played 4 hours of it, so I like did not get the entire experience. You know what? It's fine. <laughs> It's totally fine because the entire experience doesn't make a lick of sense. Um, so The Silver Case is a game by Suda51. It's basically a visual novel plus revolving around the mystery of The Silver Case, which was a, a series of murders that took place X years in the past, and the perpetrator has uh, escaped from the psychiatric facility where he was being held. Uh, also... Let's be honest, you don't know anything about the civil case until, until like, the, the last very end. Uh, also, it... So I knew that this game was related well, to they, Killer7. They, they do talk about it a little bit in the intro. Like, they, yeah, they establish... You have no that, idea, like, what it is and yeah. how it relates to things. Yeah, they established that there was, there was a, a case, there was someone who was very, very dangerous... And then you go and you like you catch him in like the first case, uh, but then there's like a twist to it. So we'll get there. Yeah. Um, so I, I knew going into this that the game was related pretty directly to both Killer Seven and Flower Sun and Rain, which are games. So? Yeah, definitely Flower Sun and Rain. Like absolutely yeah, Flower Sun and Rain. I haven't played that, but I played Killer Seven, and I saw no relations. I think. 
I think it's less direct. Like I know there's like pretty strong illusions. Uh, but is both it, of is it that it like all takes place in the same world or something? Like it's all one interconnected universe. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing is that beyond those two games, it also in even more tenuous ways connects to every other game that Suda has worked on. Uh, even even more so, uh, two games called uh, Twilight Syndrome and Moonlight Syndrome, which came out before this, before the Silver Case, which was released originally in 1999 um but they were they were not grasshopper games they were from human entertainment so they technically like can't air quotes be canonically linked but they totally are like a bunch of characters that you meet in the beginning are just characters that come directly from the syndrome games which i know nothing about and they have never been localized so so that's yeah that's so in other words in other words, this is all by way of explaining that this game seems to assume that you understand a lot of world-building stuff about the game that it does not bother to explain to you at all that is super, super confusing. So, this is where I disagree. Okay. I mean, I don't think the game assumes you know nothing about world-building stuff. I think it just, it just throws you in there. Yeah, I mean... And it knows that you don't know anything, but it doesn't want to tell you. Yeah. Yeah, which I, is infuriating. Yeah, I tend to agree with that assessment, that it that it, that it it knows that you will have no idea, especially if you're playing the Silver Case uh, now as an American, uh, like, however many years after the original, um, because this game didn't get a proper localization until, like, two years ago. So, so that that's a big thing. And it's from nineteen ninety nine. Nine, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. So, yeah, like seventeen years, if my if my math is is correct. <laughs> um, uh, there, they were trying to do a port for the DS, like I want to say two thousand eight, two thousand nine ish, um, and that didn't happen. What? But they couldn't because the UX was the worst. Yeah, no, like, they were like, we tried to rebuild this game to work on the DS, and it just didn't fucking happen. So, as far as I know, that didn't, that probably didn't even get to the localization stage. Like, they they had intended to release it in the United States and America, but I don't think they got that far. Um, And then Flower, Sun, and Rain was a PS2 game that was only ported... It was ported to the DS, and the DS version is the only version that we got in the States. Uh, and from what I have heard, and that's one that I've played a little bit of and didn't ever finish it, but from what I've heard, the, the DS port was also definitely not as good as the original version. So uh, looking forward to an actual PC port of Flower, Sun, and Rain at some point. Because I've been I've been told that that's happening, thanks to Carl. And Killer 7. Yeah. Which Killer Seven's easy to just like emulate or well, it came out for PS2. Like that's yeah. one that did get a port. Yeah. So. so so that's that's one that you can just emulate. Uh, or if you still have a PS2, you could probably find a copy for or a GameCube. Oh yeah, or a GameCube. Interesting. I would assume the copies of that game physically are pretty expensive, but they're I'm sure they're out there and not that hard to get your hands on. So. I 
wonder if they are that expensive. I wonder how in demand they are. Probably, I mean, it, it's hard. It's difficult to say because it's like it also comes down to how many copies are in circulation. But yeah. I feel like if there weren't a lot, uh, and you can probably Google that and look at the shopping results. Yeah, I I try not to type too much because I know my keyboard's loud. But uh, <laughs> uh, I would I would do it, but because I am in a uh, reclining chair for my back, it is difficult for me to reach my keyboard <laughs> without straining myself. So. I did, did I mention did I mention about my back on air? I feel like I did. You mentioned it. I can't it, yeah. remember if that's before we well, started recording or not. But I think you did. Um, okay, yeah. so it 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 varies pretty widely on on eBay. I'm seeing as low as six bucks and as as high as ninety bucks. Like still still sealed. So so yeah, not not that expensive actually. Yeah, so if you don't care about the condition it's in and you just want to play it, yeah. then you can probably get it pretty cheap. Yeah. If you want to get it as like a collector's edition type object, then you might have to shell out some more. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so silver case. <laughs> yeah, so the silver case. So like, explain to me what happens in the silver case, uh, starting with what the fuck this world is that we're in is supposed to be, because I understand nothing. It's... I mean, it all takes place like in the early two thousands. Like every every event, like within but the game. But it's still like. But it's futuristic. Yeah, it's like weird it's cyberpunky. Yeah, it's like weird sort of light cyberpunk. Like before all of the crazy cyberpunk shit that you expect from the genre really starts happening, but you can yeah. see that it's that it's on its way. <laughs> I guess. And there's some kind of dystopian class warfare thing going on, maybe? Or at least dystopian, like, level of police surveillance? Possibly? Yeah, I I sort of interpreted it as, like, a, a deeply secretive control state where the world isn't really dystopian and everything is generally okay for most people who exist in the world, but the ruling class has its hooks into literally everything uh, to a level that is impossible to understand to, like, most people. Yeah. That sounds about right. I like, from the surface, surface point of view, as a person, it, it's like a normal world. Like, yeah, basically. It's, like, it's a corrupt government. Yeah. It's, it's a corrupt government, and beyond that, it's like various branches of the government are constantly fighting each other for control behind yeah. the scenes. <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing. It's like there's a big opening, like, text crawl thing about, like, the different factions of the police force and their history with each other. Yeah. Um, which was, which was just really confusing to me at the time, because it was like a lot of, just rapid fire like names and factions and how they relate to each other and I'm yes. like, okay, you kind of forget about that. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and then it's only used for like the intro and then it's kind of completely yeah, and weird. then and then they don't talk about it again until like the last chapter, basically. Wait, that's different factions, right? The last chapter. I don't remember. So the first chapter, there's like two factions. factions. There's like. Basically, uh, as far as I can tell, like a SWAT team type group, and that's the group that your main character is part of. And then there's like a more traditional police force, 
and they're arguing over and your 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 SWAT group is also maybe like an assassination squad possibly um and they're arguing over who has jurisdiction of this escaped criminal because of where he's located but the leaders of both of these two police factions like were both both working on the original case that that this guy was arrested for yeah, uh, and then everyone in your squad dies except you. Yeah, so really, really, the point becomes moot because the um, the what is it called? The secret forces, the special fo- the the SWAT team execution force guys. Yeah, like that entire that entire group except for yourself and your leader uh, all die, and you never ever see the leader of the squad again because he's like in critical condition in the hospital, and eventually he's officially declared dead, even though I mean, he's not. <laughs> It's pretty much all like a setup for you to join the uh, the heinous yeah. the heinous crimes unit. Heinous yeah. crimes unit. Yeah, uh, which is okay. That's a name. Um, and uh, the 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 head of the heinous crimes division is like this super stereotype, um, you know, like noir detective gritty dude. Um, a la Detective Pikachu. Is and he the head of... He's not the head. Well, he's not yeah. the head, but he's like the leader of the... He's the guy who was involved with the Silver Case before, and he's like in charge of the group that... Or he's like the guy who shows up to argue jurisdiction with yeah, he's, the other guy in the beginning. He's one of he's the like founding, the he's one of the founding members. Yeah. yeah. He's one of the founding members. He's been there forever, but he's not the lead. The lead is... Actually, hang on. Let me... Let me get a list yeah. up because I'm the more offices guy. I'm really bad with names. And yeah. it's even worse if it's a language that I'm not used to. Yeah. yeah. And it's even worse if no one, like, vocally says the name. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry, I've got a list up. <laughs> yeah. So, so we'll probably end up talking about them more by their character traits than by their actual names. Yeah. Uh, but... The yeah, so the the gritty detective dude immediately gives you two terrible nicknames. I don't know why you need two, but you get two terrible nicknames. The first of which is Chinchilla, because a car- apparently your character has like a cutesy baby face. That's before you're in the crimes unit. Yeah, that's before you're in the crimes unit. And then once you get into the crimes unit, you are nicknamed Big Dick. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a whole conversation too where he's like. Chinchilla, nah, that won't do. You need like a badass detective name, like Detective Private Dick Chinchilla. How about we just call you Big Dick? That sounds super cool. Like yeah. he's so proud of himself for coming up with the name Big Dick. So here's yeah. the thing: I'm pretty sure Suda Fifty One is obsessed with dicks. <laughs> Every single game. Yeah, I I just it's like dick references everywhere. Yeah. Like like in No More Heroes, the way you uh, charge your charge up your sword, yeah, by basically jerking it off. <laughs> um, Great. <laughs> I, I love I don't know it's stupid and it just it doesn't fit the tone of this game at all. But I love the nickname Big Dick, and I got <laughs> I I just smiled I like laughed, an idiot. I laughed pretty hard. I've got to say, <laughs> and then she just introduces you to people. It's like this is my partner, Big Dick. And everyone's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like, at least in the parts I saw, I feel like it does not get as much call-out as it probably should. 
people who are like, yeah, no, Big Dick, that's his name. Yeah, no, it never really does yeah. get that much of a call out. It's just, it's just the fact. So, uh, okay, so do we want to try to uh, explain sort of the overarching yeah. story? So let's, let's do do we want to go like case by case basis? Yeah. Let's do the mechanics first, and then let's do the story on a case by case basis because I feel like the mechanics are sort of an important point of reference to keep in mind while talking about the story. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. Like, I would say, like, 80% or more of the game is just visual novel, where, yeah, you're, you're reading dialogue. I feel like I was misled, because when I hear visual novel, I assume that I will at some point have some input into this conversation in any way. But it's not, it's just reading. I guess I guess I could have said kinetic novel, and that would have been a little more accurate, because in a kinetic novel, I think there's zero expectation of... Uh, of choice. Yeah. So. so, yeah. Most of this game is um, you are put in a 3D rendered, very blank looking environment of some kind, and you walk around that environment until you have triggered all of the dialogue sequences, and then you move on to a new space. Yeah. That's basically the game. There are a few small Nancy Drew style puzzles embedded in places where it's like, all of a sudden, play Mastermind for a little bit, or, like, do this, like, uh, you know, um, this this letter cipher and figure it out. But in all those oh. cases, there's, like, a just solve it now button that you can press to not do that. They introduced that in the remaster. Yeah, yeah I, I figured as much. So, I I was like, I want to solve this puzzle. So I, I figured out the code puzzle, and then I realized I had, there was, like, 12 letter long combinations. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm just gonna press the solve button. Yeah, yep. it's like, okay. I, I know how to do it, but it's. Yeah, I figured it out. I feel confident in my solution. So I'm just gonna press the button because I don't want to do all your goddamn busy work puzzles. Yep. Yeah, that's a nice addition. Also, the solve the puzzle for me button. I appreciate that. Um, I. I sort of appreciated it, but it also made me kind of angry because the mechanics were just so few and far between that I was, like, you know, parched and dying in the desert waiting for a mechanic or some way to interact with this goddamn game. And then they would throw me a puzzle and also to be like, oh, but you know, if you don't want to do that, you can just press this button. And then we can just keep going with the part you like, which is the reading. I, I always found that the, the puzzles, and I use that term uh, extremely loosely here, that I I appreciated most were the ones that forced you to look up. Where it's like, you're looking for something, you're looking for a clue, and the only way you can find it is if you look up. And I don't, I don't know, something about that was really satisfying to me. Like, you have to, like, there's one pretty early on where you're looking for anything that's, like, different in the area, and you see a shadow on the ground, and the shadow is supposed to prompt you to look up, and then up there is, like, a dead body. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's a good use of the very sparse movement mechanics that you have. Yeah. And I was sort of disappointed that there wasn't more of that. I I agree, but I would have felt better about that if it had not come after, like, half an hour of me fruitlessly wandering around an empty landscape. Oh. Because yeah. I didn't see that shadow right away. And it's a tiny space, and there's only so many, like, movement nodes. And by the way, this is not standard movement of you just walk around the space. There are a set of interconnected nodes 
that you just press like forward and backward or turn to go between and you can't even like look at something and I- interact with it by clicking on the screen you have to like switch out of movement mode switch to interaction mode uh then like it gives you the list of interactables on the screen and you click the list entry that you want. Yeah. It's like real bad UX. It's it's a lot worse once you realize that you can get around the menu with keyboard shortcuts. Um, it's a lot better. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot better. It's a it's lot even less better worse. when you realize that clicking the C key doesn't remove the the movement yeah. menu. Yeah. yeah. Thank God, because they so you, don't, so they don't never explain have that to, like, tutorial. Yeah. Um, I, I also feel like it's worth noting, um, and I don't, I'd have to find, like, the source where I read this, but their budget was tiny, and they were really working with what they had, so... Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, like, I, I, it's, it's easy to, to shit on the controls, and it's extremely valid also to shit on the controls, but... And it's also a 20-year-old 3D game. Yeah, um, but it, it, I think it's Ish. also, like... But the thing is, like, it could have been done, like, I feel like it would have been cheaper and faster to do it like Mist, to not try and abstract the 3D environment, but just have a series of still images. Um, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe that would have been more expensive. I don't know. But it feels like it would have, like, you could have made the, the scenes feel less just empty because you didn't 3D model anything. You know what I mean? If you just drew it. Yeah. Because, like, obviously due to budget constraints, they can't have any, like, people rendered in the world in any way. So all of the environments are entirely empty. And if you encounter a person in an area, it just, like, pops up the portrait of the person you're talking to in, like, a text box. But you don't ever see the person in the environment or any, like, bodies or any clues or, like, pretty much anything except the environment itself. Yeah. You see one person in the end, and he looks hilarious. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, that's true. Good to know. The guy's yeah. spinning in his chair. Yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, so the look up thing, like, I, I found myself getting stuck a lot in this game, because a lot of the, because they're so limited mechanically, a lot of the puzzles are just, like, figure out where you have to go and which way you have to look. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the queuing on that is not great. Yeah. Um, like, I literally got stuck in the very first room of the game for about half an hour. Because I yeah. couldn't figure out how to go move forward through the damn door. Um, yeah. I, I ended up, I problem. literally, and I am not exaggerating, I literally had to quit the game, go to YouTube to look up a walkthrough watch him go through that door and go, oh, I didn't realize that was an interactable door, and then open the game up, back up and go through the door. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like I should have been stuck a lot more than I was playing this game, and yet somehow I didn't, somehow I didn't have that much trouble, which is, like, yeah, bizarre to cool. me. I don't understand, like... Do I just speak this weirdo language really well? <laughs> or I like, feel like I, feel I think like, you get oh, sorry. I feel like every possible place I could have gotten stuck, I did get stuck. So Yeah. Um I yeah. think like the game just like teach you sort of how to how to continue in the game. Like 
maybe you have to talk to this person again. Because that's what you had to do in when you were stuck in one square in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, it's like the signaling and the, the sort of cueing for like what your, what your next thing is, your next goal is, is very shaky. And, and, and that you, caused me a lot of trouble. And if you play the, like the placebo missions, the, go, the solution is always talk to the turtle. Yeah. <laughs> Which is nice. great. I, I'm surprised that I never... I, apparently there's an achievement for talking to your turtle enough times, and I'm really surprised that I didn't do that, because I talked to the turtle every opportunity that I got, even if it didn't do anything. Hmm. Um, the... Oh, shoot, there's something else I was going to say about the dialogue. Oh, uh, in the end, what I ended up doing, because um, I wanted to make sure that I like at least played some of this game before the podcast... Uh, was I went and I looked up a walkthrough, um, not one that like actually gives spoilers, but one that just like step by step tells you, okay, go left, go to the star thing, turn mm -hmm. right, look up, and like with no other context. Uh, and I was just following that guide for the rest of my playthrough yeah. after pretty much the intro level. I love I love walkthroughs like that. I did. I remember I think it was when we were playing uh, the sexy brutal. There were a couple parts that I got stuck on, so I found a walkthrough that was just like, go north. Go east. Go to, like, find the thing on the, like, just completely contextless here yeah. are the steps. And I, I don't know. Something about those kinds of walkthroughs uh, I, I really enjoy. Yeah, because it still lets you, like, appreciate the game without, like, with minimal spoilers, basically. Mm -hmm. um, but it it stops you from being stuck, which yeah. is the, the main point. Yeah. Um, so I, I resorted to that, and I still only ended up getting... I played four hours and I got to the end of like the second official case, which is the one with like the two little boys. Oh yeah. Okay. And, yeah. So that's, that's, that's my context for the game is I got to the end of that case. So. Let me see if I can find a, a, a list of all the cases so that we can go through. Okay. Yeah. So the, so the main mechanics walk around and then read dialogue and then walk around some more and read some more dialogue. Mm -hmm. And so, read emails. So, or read, yeah. And in the so there's two different storylines. There's the main uh, transmitter, is what it's called, where you're following uh, Big Dick. I think I think his character canonically is called uh, Akira, but even then, like he doesn't remember his name, and it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, yeah, it's whatever they call him by code name. Whatever you entered in the name field at the beginning of the game. So yeah, I mean. He has a name, or sort of. Yeah. Well, it's Big Dick, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other set of missions is called Placebo, where you're following an ex-journalist who has been contracted to find more information about uh, Kamui Urehara, who is the bad guy that the, the whole game ostensibly revolves around. Um, and that is all just, like, emails and conversations with a bartender, and conversations with your ex-girlfriend, uh, and conversations with your turtle, so... I never got a turtle. Now I'm sad that I missed the turtle. Oh yeah, his name is Red. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Alright, yeah. so let's go through the cases. So, day one, you you show up as the SWAT team, and your whole team gets murdered. Then what? That's not even the first thing you do. The first thing you do is... uh. Uh, 
Kusabi, who's the old hard-boiled detective, is like driving down the road and a man appears in the middle of the road and just shoots at him in his car and then runs off. So he starts pursuing this guy and they he ends up running into the SWAT team people who are also pursuing this guy and they end up having to infiltrate a tower. Uh, and some spooky shit goes down and uh, they end up like killing the perpetrator and that's the end of it. Because yeah, they're they're looking for Kamui, I guess. Insert spooky shit goes down. Yeah, I would. Uh, I I will. I will grant that I was intrigued by the spooky shit. My my central problem with this game was how incredibly bored I was because I went so long between points of actually interesting intrigue. I was like, that was like one intriguing taste of a thing that you gave me there. Why are you making me go through all this bullshit to get more of it? Yeah. So I think I think sort of the main idea is that uh, uh, it, it seems like they never really come right out and say it, but it's heavily implied that all of the crimes that the heinous crimes unit pursue are like mimetic crimes, where they are passed between individuals through like a shared psychosis or something. That's uh, just what I got from it. I don't know. They 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 sort of talk about like crimes that are spreading yeah they talk about crimes like it's like a virus. Tran- transmittable crimes yeah yeah that's i think that's the exact wording that they use which is oh weird. yeah yeah uh, it becomes clearer it, I it that, does is yeah that part of the, is that part of the like weird cyberpunkiness of it i assumed that that was like a weird future cyberpunky sort of thing it is yes it is okay. yeah um so then the next case is one called decoy man where you're searching for kamui uh Kamui has escaped from the mental hospital where he has been held for the last, I don't, I don't know, like many years. Yeah, like more than more than a decade, I think. Um, he like murders this nurse who has been work or doctor. I think she might be. I think she's a psychologist who has been working with him. Uh, it's implied that they had an intimate relationship, and then very unethical, but. Sure. But that also is explained. Yeah. Um, um, and he escapes into the woods, and the SWAT, SWAT boys... Uh, what? Hang on. I'm trying to, like, figure out if I can... I'm not going to search for the actual name of their unit. It doesn't matter. SWAT boys uh-huh. go to apprehend him, and he kills all of them except for the chief and uh, Big Dick. So then you end up at the hospital and uh, Kusabi, hard-boiled detective man, uh, questions you and basically recruits you to, like, help because you're the only person who has survived and is in decent condition um, in looking for Kamui. So they find Kamui at the uh, atelier of one of his former associates and she, you talk to her and she's like, Oh yeah, uh, Kamui. I haven't seen him, and then it turns out that he's tied up in her closet. So you apprehend them both, and you're trying to question Kamui, and Kamui just is like incapable of speaking. He's nearly catatonic. And then the woman, his former associate, uh, sh- starts shooting. Yep, and runs away. And runs away. Uh, <laughs> let's see what's. What's the next part? So then you go to the shelters. Yeah, then you go to the shelters, which, what are they supposed to be? It looked like a museum of 
like, types of housing, but there were also people living there. Yes, so... Carl, what do you think? Do you think we should just uh, unlay or lay out what the mystery is right away? Because that's... The shelters are a big part of, like, the weird shit that's going on behind the scenes that they don't really explain until later. Should we just, like, talk about it now, or...? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, is this the same type of shelter, though? It's a different type of shelter, and I don't know why they have multiple shelters, but... So, okay, so the shelter project is basically a thing where I don't entirely know how they gained access to a bunch of children. It seems like a lot of people just gave up their children to this process of being essentially brainwashed. So that, that right. gathering a lot they of children. Do mention that a little bit in this yeah, case. so yeah. that they could eventually be implanted with like the perfect personality. And it turns out that the perfect personality, according to the people who developed this program, was Kamui. Because while he did all of those murders of high-ranking government officials in the past, he didn't do them of his own volition. He just did them because he was told. So he's capable of doing, like, really impactful things, but at the end of the day, he's just a perfectly obedient murderer. Did he even do the murderers? Because that was like some weird twist at the end. The, and the weird twist at the end is that Kamui isn't actually the perfect personality, but that Big Dick was actually the perfect personality, and that's why he has amnesia. And why he just keeps following orders all the time. Yeah. So that like And he's Kamui. And that and that he's Kamui. I wasn't entirely sure if if that was if it was that Big Dick was the like prime uh uh personality that they were going to like Upload into brainwashed people's brains, or if if it was just known that he was the next person that was going to become Kamui, and I thought it was the latter, but I'm not sure. So yeah, he's gonna become because they sort of talked about that. Okay, yeah. So yeah, basically, it's all a big brainwashing thing. Um, And not only were there Kamuis, but there were also uh, all of the like female children had a different personality that they were all going to be, like, imprinted with. And all of the women that Kamui was in contact with, there was the psychiatrist that he murdered, there was his former associate, there's one of the people on the heinous crimes unit, there's uh, another woman that he murdered. They were all, like, different versions of that other female personality, <laughs> which is why Kamui murdered them. Interesting. What's the What's the female personality supposed to be? I'm not entirely sure. We have no idea what the personalities like are supposed to be, only their name, pretty much. And I don't remember. Do you remember what the name was? No, it was something with A, I think. Yeah, I don't remember, and I'm not. I'm not finding it on the on the wiki. The wiki is like not very well put together. <laughs> Uh. All right. Well, okay. So you go to these shelters uh, and you discover a bunch of children in them, and they're all like supposedly Kamui's kids by different women. By the women that he killed, yeah. Yeah, by the women that he killed. At least, yeah. At this point. Yeah, or so they say. Yeah. And I is that the end of the case? 
you or you you learn that like actually the woman who ran off is the one who killed all these women because she mm-hmm. was like jealous that they were sleeping with Kamui. Yes. And uh so like Kamui is just not the person who did it in this case supposedly. Yes. That is that is exactly it. <laughs> um and then I think at this point you can start playing placebo missions. Yeah. And the placebo missions generally are just um a, a retelling of the transmitter missions in ways that are maybe a little bit more coherent. So, I didn't even notice the yeah, placebo it's, mission. It's like the same things happening from a different point of view. Yeah. With huh. some small extra bits added on. Yeah. That's so that's I assume that's on the right hand side of the menu select? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even notice know that those were there at all. Yeah, they there's a very like weird and noisy and, like, overly complicated UI for a lot of stuff in this game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't need to be that the way it is. It's it's um, absolutely true. And, you know, I think what's, what honestly makes me so angry about this game is that there's a lot of stuff about it that's really cool on paper <laughs> that I was just so frustrated trying to actually play. Yeah. That that's that's one of the things that I wrote down is that like it's it's not fun to play and it's really, really hard to like bring myself to play it and to sit down and like commit to playing it. But once I do, after a certain point, it just like gets its hooks in me and it's like, I gotta keep reading this text. I can't stop reading this text. I gotta know more. Um I have the exact same point written down. Yeah. Okay. Really? Like, it's it's really hard to like start of the game and start playing probably maybe because it's like it's such a intense experience yeah um is... maybe i just never got past that first part intense is not how i would describe no, it like meaning taxing more yeah taxing exactly i yes. literally played i literally played this at one point uh like i was going to try and finish the the last case I was on and I played half of the case and then went and took a two hour nap because I was just so tired. Yeah. I didn't really have a problem like continuing a case. I just I I also like But if that was the like the second case with the kids Mm -hmm. that that case was pretty much the worst of them all. Oh no Well, good to know. Um, I I think also part of my problem is just I didn't like any of the characters. I didn't connect with or relate to or root for any of them in any way. Um, the only character that I was even vaguely interested in was, like, the female character in the police force. Um, and mostly because, like, I was interested in, like, what they were trying to say about the fact that she's, like, basically, like, pushed around and shit on by all her male colleagues all the time. Um and she and calls it, them out for being shitty. Yeah, and I constantly. I, yeah, and I wasn't sure if the game wanted us to side with her or with her colleagues. Like, I really wasn't sure where the game was coming down on that um, because they always talk about like, "Oh, she's so bitchy, always complaining about like, you know, like the way she's treated and stuff." And I'm like, "It's because you're treating her like shit." Uh, but then, at, like at the end of the second case, 
uh, she's like, ah, oh, sorry, I was being so bitchy. I was on my period. And then I'm like, I'm done. I'm finished. Bye, game. <laughs> yeah. And, and there are, there are other, she is like, kind of bitchy. Yeah, like, there's a, a later point where, um, I think it's in, is it in Kamui Drome? Uh, where a, a, like, famous, like, an idol, basically, um, it, it's revealed that someone has put a camera in her apartment and they've been secretly filming her and selling the footage on the internet. And so she kills herself because that's a horrible thing to go through. Um, and then after that happens, they're all having, like, all the heinous crimes people are having a conversation and Hachisuka, the, the woman on the team, is like, well, that's what you get when, when you become, a, like, a famous personality. You have no expectation for privacy. She, she shouldn't have been so surprised that this happened. Like, really, really unsympathetic about the whole thing. So, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really hard to know, like, who to empathize with. Yeah, or, or the game it, expects you to like and why, or if anyone. <clears throat> I don't know. It felt like it went, like, way too hard on the, like, grittiness of noir without any like interesting substance or character behind it at least from yeah. from the parts i played granted maybe that changes later but i don't know i i think like there's substance behind it maybe it's not like there's someone to root for but there's i think there's like depths and interesting things to these characters all right uh, as i said like Maybe part of this is that I didn't finish it. Maybe like if I kept going, I would I would have found something to dig into. But well, I also feel like eventually, uh, when you do get to the interesting parts, it's all like really esoteric shit. Like the fact that Hachisuka is like one of the one of the brainwashed kids, basically, and that her grandfather is. Um... Did we talk about the silver eye? The silver eye is the other no. big thing. Um, and okay, okay, let's talk about this. Yeah. And Carla, let's understand that this is introduced in the epilogue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In okay. like, in like a two minute talk. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't even, I don't really even know what the silver eye is. So, the, one of the things that they were doing. I mean, I guess it's a pair of eyes. Yeah. One of the things that they're doing in the shelter project is that they're, um, testing certain kids for, like, to be implanted with the silver eye. And I don't know necessarily what it does, but apparently, um, the, the man who It makes had you them, immortal yeah. and constantly young. Yeah. Um, so the man who has the silver eyes is Hachisuka's grandfather, who is the governor of, of the 24 wards. Uh. Which is the city. Which is the city, yes. And, uh, uh, everybody thinks that the governor is actually Hachisuka's father, but her real father was killed by her grandfather, and then her grandfather took his place as her father because he doesn't age. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so okay. that's the other thing that's going on. Um, and eventually, like, at the end, basically all of the clones go insane, and you, you and Kusabi end up like murdering everyone on your team because they've all pretty much gone insane bonkers hmm. for reasons. So like you kill Hachisuka, 
you kill Sunglasses Man. You kill... Uh... I had sort of assumed that Sunglasses Man was going to turn out to be the villain. He had, like, really sketchy vibes from the start. I assumed he was going to be, like, a good guy that you sort of suspected to be a villain. <laughs> so sort of both? Yeah, yeah. I guess. Uh, who else? Uh, Subio uh, uh, ends up actually being the villain of uh, an earlier chapter. Interesting. <laughs> so he's out of the picture. Uh, and then he becomes the protagonist of Flower, Sun, and Rain. Or maybe it's a clone of him. I can't. I can't remember exactly. This is a really hard game to talk about. <laughs> um, so, do, uh, was there was there more you wanted to say about the Silver Eyes, or do we want to actually continue with the chapter by chapter recap? I don't know if there is a whole lot to say about the Silver Eyes beyond that. Okay. Right, I, I the was... original Kamui had them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's the other thing too is that the original Kamui had them and, and was killed. And for yeah, and was killed. Them. And then the governor took them. So really, like, the governor is the big bad, but there's not really a whole lot anyone can do about it because he's the governor. Okay. Also, uh, the journalist. I don't I don't remember, like, I think this is another thing that they just kind of tell you at the end and with no fanfare. The journalist that you are playing as in the placebo is Hachisuka's brother. So he's also the grandson of the governor. Also, a an experiment child. Uh, I'm pretty sure he is. No. Yeah, no, he's not. Oh yeah, no, he's not. Oh. He's not. You're right. I think. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, um, decoy man uh, ends when you uh, you find these uh, shelters. You you assume that the woman uh, was has been the murderer all along, and she escapes. Yes. And I don't end, end case one, start case two, I think. And I don't think the woman ever really even comes back into play, if I remember correctly. Is she not? Damn it. I was hoping that mm-hmm. like that no. there would at least be some through line. Yeah, no. And then the next case is completely unrelated. It yeah. it's it's just kids and one of them uh two kids and one of them dies and the surviving kid like doesn't realize that uh that the dead kid is dead. He thinks that he's just been kidnapped by bullies. So uh so he asks Big Dick to help him find the kid, his friend. Uh yeah, and meanwhile they're also or uh investigating an apparent suicide in the same building mm-hmm. of like an older man. Yes. So uh long story short, uh the two boys were like walking home from school one day and the man who killed himself, the apparent suicide guy, uh starts chasing them, which causes the now-deceased boy to have a heart attack, which is what killed him. And then the little, the, the dead kid's ghost, like, causes the man to jump off his apartment balcony. <laughs> and that's, that's yeah, what it is. Think, is it, is so, is it, is that fully established, or is it still left ambiguous that it could be that guy, or it could have been... Like the kid coming to confront, because the police, the detectives all think it's like the other kid comes to confront this guy, and maybe get himself killed. Um, and the guy just like falls off the balcony because he already had some like nerve control disorder or something like that. Um, 
that's what they that's what they say to each other in the office yeah. at the end of the case. But it's it is strongly implied that it was actually like the first kid's ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Again, he never mentioned this again. Yeah. Yeah. The only the only thing to take from this entire chapter is that the guy in from the placebo missions lives in one of those apartments. Yes. And you and you you two meet. And you met you met at the the uh, shopping mall too, where when when you were investigating a decoy man. Oh yeah. Uh, you? Yes. Yeah. And they never. You saw that you you don't really know it. Yeah. If you don't play the placebo mission. Oh okay. Yeah. Um and and because of that, like it it was a freaky experience for the journalist guy in the placebo missions. So because of that, he's like really really wary of Big Dick and just like gets a gross bad feeling from him. So, which I guess sounds like it turns out to be earned. Yeah, kind of. I guess. <laughs> uh, in, well, in terms of you being one of the scary kids or whatever. Yeah, but the thing is that like, how many there were like, like two thousand scary, the like two thousand brainwashed girls and two thousand brainwashed boys, or something like that. So it's like. Actually, a really significant chunk of the population are <laughs> are these people who could at any moment be like tapped to have uh, uh, another personality implanted in them, or they like failed during the brainwashing process, so they just had their memories wiped and were dumped out into the world. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the so that's case two is the the two little boys in the apartment building. Mm-hmm. What's the next case? Parade. That's oh, yeah. Sumio. Um, so this one starts out, you're on a stakeout. Uh, uh, well, Kusabi and Sumio are out on a stakeout. And the building that they're staking out explodes. Oh, is that the stakeout that's taking place all throughout the previous chapter? Yes. So. yes. Okay, because there's like a bunch of cuts to the two of them just hanging out in a car arguing, and they've been there for apparently, like, days by the end of it. Uh, like, possibly even weeks. Mm-hmm. And nothing ever comes of that in that chapter. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, the the building that they're watching explodes, which leads to... Basically, in, like, the 70s, there was a town that a big development company bought out and started, like, development there. Um, poisoned all the water and made all the people in the town go insane and just like polluted the area so the whole events that happen in this chapter are revenge against um, against this development company so what do they do they like demand a super super expensive diamond be brought to them uh they kidnap the president. Of yeah, the yeah, okay, yeah. They kidnap the president and demand the diamond as ransom for him. And then uh, they once they get the diamond, the guy who gets the diamond just, like, jumps into the smokestack of a factory and dies, obviously, and then the diamond is also destroyed. So the expense of getting the diamond, like, bankrupts the company, basically. So that's, like, one part of the revenge. And then the other part of the revenge is that... Uh, 
someone they they have a, a meeting of all the board of directors people and someone in the meeting has a bomb and blows them all up so the entire company is just ruined uh and it turns is out this, is the entire city also ruined i don't think the entire city because it was like oh, they they sort of talk about that later right where they they go like, back he to wanted the city. to destroy the entire city of the past and stuff yeah yeah the kill the past theme um is part of it and there's an explosion at the where the at the site of the old city um and I don't actually know who did that one who did that explosion um so basically you find out at the end that Sumio one of the cops in the heinous crimes unit um was one of the boys in the town who was beaten to death or not beaten to death um one of them was blinded one of them like got stabbed with an ice pick or something in the ears so he was deafened and the third one had his mouth sewn shut because they were friends of um they were friends with a girl is that like a see no evil hear no evil speak no evil kind of yeah thing yeah going on? they they were friends with a girl who was like the daughter of someone from a development company and the town uh went insane because she was a witch yeah the the townspeople all went insane because of like uh illegal drugs being dumped in their water so they tried they they killed the girl and the three boys tried to protect her and they got maimed in the process so this whole thing has been revenge basically <laughs> um and sumio was one of the perpetrators so from this point on sumio is just like in being detained and like in prison and he still shows up a couple times but when you say he was one of the, the perpetrators force. he was one of the perpetrators of the original crime or one of the people who tried to get revenge one of the people revenge. getting revenge yeah ah, okay. in the present like from within the police force i think he was the one who was deaf and it yeah. was explained that that he had taught himself how to lip read and that's <laughs> how he like um he like, faked a bunch of tests. Yeah, he faked tests a bunch of tests and and had to bribe people to like pass the hearing tests. Um and yeah, he basically like snuck onto the force so that he could help pull the strings for this whole thing. Which is I think overall that was like the most interesting uh case for me at least. Because it wasn't quite so uh maddeningly vague as say like Kamui Drome which is the next one was. Uh, um, That's when shit goes down. Yeah. Uh, so Kamui Drome is case number four, and it's basically uh, Serial Experiments Lane, and it's about, like, hacking, and uh, basically a, a couple of hackers decide we're gonna... I don't, I don't know... If they're like devotees of Kamui, uh, but they, they decide to like launch a terrorist attack and I guess they knock out power for a while and that's all that they manage. And also there are like aliens, I think, <laughs> which isn't really explained, no, but it might be. But you talk to, you, Big Dick goes to a building and talks to a girl. Who was like, yeah, we were gonna jump into another dimension through the computer, and I didn't go, but I think I'm gonna go now, and then she just goes. 
And that's like everything that happens in Christmas. <laughs> like, am I missing also, anything important? I feel like nothing important happened. Um, more than like, Kamui uh, is like sort of seen as a cult. And, like, people yeah. talk about doing what he's doing and stuff like that. Yeah, I he guess. becomes popular. popular yeah, that is sort right. of the big, the big takeaway is that he has like followers, kind of. And there are people who like believe that he is. Uh, some kind of beacon of justice, I, I guess. Also, there's the weirdest romance scene ever. Oh, yeah, Where yeah, yeah. like, people talking in your online chat room, and then suddenly one shows up at the door, and then they make out. Yeah. And and then they become the, the two people who, uh, who stage the terrorist attack that just knocks out power for a minute, and then nothing comes of it. Because basically, it's uh, it's there's a guy. There's no motivation for anyone. Yeah, no, anyone. there's no motivation for anything. It, it starts out with a man, like a middle-aged man, who just goes into uh, obscure chat rooms on the internet and just starts shit with people and provokes them. And uh, at one point, he provokes a bunch of people, and they're like, "Okay, we're gonna hack you, and we're gonna figure out where you live." So they do that, and he thinks they're coming to attack him, and it turns out that it's just the girl. So then they talk for a while, and and then they have sex, and then they become cyberpunk, uh, like the Matrix kind of, uh, like dressed in weird, like all black clothes with very futuristic sort of makeup, uh, and they do absolutely fuck all, and then you never you never hear about them again in the rest of the game at all, really. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I mean, you you re- you really got out at at an okay time to have gotten out. I was out. gonna say, I'm starting to be glad that I maybe didn't continue playing this game. And we have barely even started. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, we've the the next because the next one is Life Cut, and Life Cut's the one where all the shit goes down, and you get all the reveals about like the shelter kids. More questions than reveals. Well, still, it's still basically the end. Like, you get the reveals... You First of all, in the beginning of Life Cut, you stage an operation and they kill Kamui. Uh, but then, after that, you find out that it doesn't matter that you've killed Kamui, because Kamui can just be uploaded into any brainwashed brain at any time. Also, so, during that mission, like, people in the Genius Crimes Unit start killing each other. Yeah, they start turning against each other. Uh, so, like, Morikawa, Sunglasses Man... I think Kusabi kills him, and I think Big Dick kills Hachisuka because she's, like, basically gone insane. Uh, no, the the new guy kills. Oh, uh, yeah, the new guy. I forgot that there's also new Or guys. the new girl, I mean. Yeah, it's the new girl. You're right. And I don't remember her name. Uh, no, but she's a clone. Yeah. Or one of two. Yeah, she's one of them, too. <laughs> yeah, basically everybody in the story is, is one of the I think she actually kids. goes by that name. That could be that could be right actually. Uh, no, she doesn't. She no. goes by N something. Sounds like this game is chock full of clear and well defined story. They introduce two new characters that serve absolutely no purpose. Yeah, they they introduce two new characters because surprise, we're gonna kill all the other characters, so we need to we need to fill it out a little bit. Um, yeah, and basically that's the chapter where you find out everything about the shelter kids and the brainwashing and 
the fact that um, the entire government is basically just controlled by one super, super intelligent, like, programmer. Can you talk about that Basically. Guy? Yeah, you want to talk about <laughs> that guy? Uh, you, I don't know what's... You do a puzzle. The, in the end of the chapter, you just find out that there's like a guy in a chair spinning around with computers all around and a giant yeah. brain over him. Yeah, like you do a puzzle involving some graves, and I think they're the graves of the, the government people who were murdered during the original Silver case. I think. That might be the case. And then um, you, you solve the puzzle, and it, it you go up a staircase, and yeah, here's just this man surrounded by a circle of computers and there's wires everywhere and he's just spinning around in his chair and then later you're told yeah that's the brilliant programmer who actually just controls the entire government and economy and everything through computers (laughs) yeah it it doesn't yeah it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense um So, and then there's some epilogue stuff where you hear about, you find out about the silver eye in the epilogue, and you find out that, uh, Big Dick, I think, either could have or has now become Kamui, and he just decides, like, nah, not gonna do it. There's some weird, like, people calling people weird names. Yeah, like, after... Like, you're not sure who's who in the end. Yeah, like, by the end of the game, everyone, like, Kusabi's pretty much the only one who's still alive, I guess, uh, besides the new people. And so and the Kus- guy on the bench. Oh, yeah, and the guy on the bench who was one of Kusabi's colleagues, and they worked together on the Silver Case um, back in the day. And now I think he does some, like, intelligence stuff. But, yeah, basically everyone starts referring to Big Dick now as Kamui because he's the new Kamui. But it doesn't matter because, like, everybody who could have manipulated him is is dead. But that's clearly not the case. I don't... I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Yep. Well, so, I get the impression... With this game, that like it could have been like incredibly entertaining in just a an utterly batshit sort of way. Yeah. If there weren't just so much chaff, you know, like it's 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 so there's so much in between the interesting parts that just feels like filler and that is confusing and that is like feels like busy work in a lot of times that it's hard to get to the fun weird stuff. I don't. Maybe. I don't. I'm not sure. I agree. I don't disagree, but at the same time, I feel like the weird stuff, the weird, interesting stuff, is kind of always worth it. Even if, even if I cannot, in any way, explain it, uh, <laughs> or talk about it, in any cogent sort of manner, uh, I, I guess, I guess what it comes down to for me is that I really appreciate this kind of ambiguity. Because I feel like a lot of media is way too inclined to just hand it to you. 
And the silver case is so disinclined to hand it to you that I don't think it really even has anything it could hand to you. <laughs> yeah. And that's fine with with me. It, it's yeah, I don't I don't dislike ambiguity. I just I guess my my feeling was like I really liked of the parts I played. I really liked the part where you like oh shit you run into someone and they're like muttering weird things to themselves. What's going on? Or you know like. Even even that thing with the shadow, which was annoying to find, but it's like, oh shit, there's a shadow on the ground, like, oh shit, things are going down. But I just could not get over the, like, half an hour of, like, wandering around and, like, getting two sentences at a time from people on the comms that preceded that. And if the game had been all only the, like, cool parts, I think I would have been actually pretty into that. Yeah. Oh, it just started, right. it just started raining really hard. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Uh, and this is another episode uh, where I'm surprised by the weather. Please enjoy. <laughs> I think, uh, like, I really like dialogue, and that maybe carried it for me. Uh, that might be the difference. I mostly didn't care for the dialogue. I actually, I, I like the dialogue, I think, for the most part. Um, it, it was interesting to me because it, it seems like it's so lightly translated like it's really easy to take a text heavy japanese game and completely localize it but this one didn't to the point where you're still getting like sort of uh artifacts of like japanese grammatical structure that you see a lot in uh in like anime subtitles especially fan translations of things yeah um and i don't i guess i liked that because I think there's more of a tendency nowadays to translate the hell out of it and to localize the hell out of it. Uh, and I, I I guess even if it's clunky, I like when it's relatively unmolested, let's say. Yeah, I think a really good translation, though, would be able to maintain like the interesting ambiguity without it just sounding like kind of broken like I, sometimes i wonder how much of the the stuff that's in there is ambiguous by design and how much of it is ambiguous by weird translation right yeah, and it's difficult and to i say. think it was pretty i thought it was pretty much all by design yeah but maybe that's the, true. but i think that this might be a case where like me having english as a second second language sort of makes me not really notice the like flaws of it that could be. That could be. I guess it, it made me think a lot of like Persona Five and how a lot of people got mad at the translation of Persona Five because they they still used like honorifics and there were some like phrasing things that people were like, "That's weird and clunky, and no one would ever speak like that in English." But I never found that to be the case. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if that's just because I have historically watched a lot of anime and read a lot yeah, of subtitles. Yeah, I was gonna say, this is, one, this is one situation where, like, having watched a lot of fan-translated anime will help you because you're more used to these sorts of speech patterns. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. It, since Maybe I, st- I still have a problem with it. Interesting. Yeah. At least hearing it. Yeah. I have no problem reading it. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think since I mentioned Persona Five, by the way, I I will just say that it it is insane to me 
that they want that people got mad at a game that takes place in like contemporary Japanese society, uh, and they got mad that they kept honorifics in the text, yeah. which is like a huge part of, of the culture like that. Yeah, and of expressing character that yeah. you can't really do in English. Yeah. I'm still mad yeah. about that, but anyway. That's fair. Okay, so, yeah, no. Um, what else can we older, say? Did anyone play the older version and see any of the differences at all? No. Nope. I, I switched back and forth a couple times, and I, I, I don't know, like, if there was a button that I wasn't pushing correctly, uh, because the UI is, is actively fights you at every turn. Um, that, like, didn't hold the changes that I wanted to make, but I didn't notice any significant difference between the old and new. So, which which makes me wonder if I even ever got the old stuff turned on properly. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, like, what's up with the art style? What's it's... up with the mixing of everything? Yeah, I was gonna say, it changes a lot. Like, sometimes... They use, like, weird embedded live-action video for things, and sometimes they just have, like, straight-up anime mm -hmm. stuff. And I... Yeah. I mean, that felt to me like maybe a budget sort of thing. I don't think it is. I think... No? I think some of it was. Um, maybe some of it, but... Yeah. I, I think... I think this is the game that will, like... This is the type of game where you would expect this sort of just throw a bunch of mix on in onto the screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I it would be interesting to see if like things like the the live action video was the part of it that felt the most intentional to me yeah. art wise, um, and I wonder if they were like emphasizing particular things based on when they used that versus when they used art assets. Um, but if so, I didn't play enough of it to, like, pick up on the pattern. Yeah, it, it's and, difficult it, to say. And, like, some missions have more of one thing. So, yeah. like, the, the parade has, like, a lot of anime cutscenes. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Well, the second one with the children has a lot of live action. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Kamui Drome has some... Like so, there's live action, there's there's anime, and there's then there's FMV, as well, um, where they have like actually actually animated 3D models, which are probably the rarest out of all of them because you only see it at the very end. And I think the segment where the um, the idol uh, commits suicide by jumping off of a building, that part is also an FMV sequence. Um, now, when you say FMV, what's the difference between the FMV and the live action scenes? I, this, I guess this is like a, a distinction that I'm making for the purpose of this game only. Because when I'm saying FMV, I'm talking about like actual 3D animated models, okay, and so not, not live not, action, not full, not actual full motion video in terms of like they shot video, which is what the live action scenes yeah. are, but like... Cause, yeah, um, a rendered like people, video. Yeah, people, it's a rendered yeah, video. 3D, 3D model renders, okay. Which okay. which I have seen them delineated in that way in other texts. I see. As between live action and FMV, so that's like the convention that I have stuck with, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's... 
the the for me the the weird part was not the art style itself in the terms of like the cutscenes or the like or even the th- like three D rendered uh, environment. Uh, it was like the weird sort of UI framing around everything because like the yeah. it's not like it's a full screen of the environment. It's like a little frame window in which the center is the environment. And then there's, like, a border around it where sometimes there'll be, like, just weird abstract designs. Sometimes there'll be some text. Sometimes there'll be some text in Japanese. Uh, and it's it's all decorative, I guess. And that changes in every chapter. Like, every chapter yeah. has a different yeah. theme for the... The, um, the border you the, the, so the film window, I guess. Yeah. What I'm thinking is that it's, uh, like, direct, like... If you call reference to like noir and like cop dramas, where people like put stuff around and move it on a desk, or like the the uh, the pin boards where everything's yeah. connected by by red red yarn. Yeah, maybe. Uh. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um. I was sort of interested also in, um, like, I literally, I don't have a better explanation for that, so <laughs> let's go with that. Um, I was also kind of interested in the way that they did the movement in terms of, like, not being a free roam, but being a set of nodes that you walk between. Uh, and I came up with, like, at least one possible explanation for it, although now I'm not... Hard? utterly well so i'm not sure that it is harder than what they did because they did end up um i guess it is a bit but like they did end up having you actually move through the space between nodes it's just you move through it in a way that's not under your control like it's not like it you know missed where it like fades out on one scene and then fades up and you're at the next node it like literally moves you through the space to the next node um you just, like, you don't have an opportunity. I guess it means that you don't have to make colliders on anything because yeah. there's, like, no one ha- pushes up against the walls. Um, but it's also an interesting, maybe this is coincidental, but it does happen to match a technique um, that I've seen in a lot of horror games, um, which is designed to create, um, like, very set camera angles from which you can see thing, certain things and not see others uh, in order to engender, like, a sense of paranoia and of, like, not necessarily being able to see what you want that could be coming up or something so, that's, like, about to leap out at you or whatever. I have in my notes that, like, it feels very, like, Junji Ito is esque Yeah. Where yeah. it's, like, it's always on the next page. There's always something happening, like, when you turn the page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it's, like, sort of sudden that the next thing happens. Yeah, yeah. and you're always, so, like, you're always tense. Yeah. Yeah, it is definitely one of those, like, I started it up and I'm like, Jesus, I need my, you know, are there jump scares dot com for this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I but, guess... Oh, and sorry. there's mostly yeah. not, I would say, at least in the parts I experienced so far. There's, like, um, things that are, like, sudden, but not in, a, like, a jump-scary kind of way. Yeah. Um, I guess I always... My 
internal explanation for sort of the node-based movement system, what makes the most sense to me is that it sort of corrals you into specific areas so that you're not wandering freely around an environment without any idea of where to go. Because you know that to progress, you always have to go to one of the nodes, basically. Yeah. So, and it's probably one of the interaction nodes, although not always. Yeah. So that that's... Because the interaction nodes... Nodes are marked in the environment as little triangles on the screen, unless there is something you can interact with at that node, in which case it is a little star. Mm-hmm. Which, granted, given how lost I got already, um, it was very important that that shit was there. Yeah. Even with them, I had a hard time, so... <laughs> yeah, I yeah. so I always just assumed that it was a means of guiding the player to where they needed to be. Probably probably among other things. Very, it certainly makes things feel very different compared to what you would expect from, like, a game of this style. Yeah. Or, you know, any, any game basically set in a 3D environment. Like, it, it gives it a very specific feel mm-hmm. that you would not get otherwise. I'm just thinking, like, a gridded D4. Yeah. And also, like, the detective movements game. I don't know that. D4. Dark Dreams Don't Die? Don't quote me on it. I've never heard of it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's yeah, D- D4, yeah, D4 does this, this similar thing with movement where you just kind of zoom around to set points. Yeah, I forgot about that. Interesting. And it is similarly a a mystery detective game. Yeah. Maybe it's intended to make you feel more like you are um, like fully examining a space because the space is more finite in the sense that it is a set of discrete points. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense actually. Um, this is all shot in the dark because this is like clearly like a very oddball kind of like the, sort of a very specific auteur point of view in the same way that like a David Lynch movie might be. <laughs> yeah. um, like there's one person who clearly has something very strong that they want to say, but what that thing is is very difficult for other people to tell. Yeah. I'm not sure it's clear for the team. Yeah. Maybe not. That's always that's always the question. But I don't know. I, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt that he's probably trying to say something. But who knows? Um, I would not necessarily recommend this game to people as a general like, I think it's it's interesting if you're, like, exploring something very specific or you want to see, like, this very specific thing. But as as a general game recommendation, I don't think I could make it. Yeah. Oh, please, no. <laughs> yeah, Scrug, I... on the other hand, wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a game for uh, that you should play if you're into Swery. And that, or not Swery, Suda. Suda, yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's like, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't recommend it either. Uh, but at the same time, I will probably eventually end up buying the sequel, which I don't think we talked about. There's a sequel, the 25th Ward, uh, which I think is actually a direct sequel to this. Uh, and I'm looking forward to 
an eventual remake of Flower, Sun, and Rain so that I can actually play that properly. Okay. Because, yeah. I don't know, I'm I'm invested enough in the weirdness of this world that I that I would like more, even if it even if I have to suffer through it. <laughs> so. Oh, by the way, are you guys familiar with the door problem? The... Is that the title of a game, or is that a philosophical no. question? Is that the, the um, thing where you, it's, you pick uh... what's behind a door, and then you have the option to choose to pick no. a different... Okay, no. That's then... the, uh, so that's the Monty Hall uh... problem. <laughs> right, okay, yeah, yeah, it yeah. It was a game designer from Ubisoft, I think, that had to, like introduce what she did oh yes, yes. I, ha- I have read this yes and she stated like 25 points of what to think when she was making a door yeah it was like it was like how do you explain to someone who doesn't really understand game design like what a game designer does all day and no, so it like... was like here's here's a thing um so imagine that you've played a game and there are doors in it here are some of the the questions that i have to answer uh in the course of designing a game. Like, how many doors are there? Where are the doors? How do I signal to the player that the player can open the doors? How do I signal to the player that they can open some doors and not other doors? Once a door is opened and gone through, can the player go back through it? If they can't go back through it, how do I signify that they can't go through that door anymore? And, like, on and on and on. Like, there's, like, yeah, like 25, 30 bullets that are basically like that. This game reminded me so much of that because there's so many different kinds of doors, <laughs> <laughs> and I there's no and there's no queuing for that. Yeah, yeah, they're all signaled differently and inconsistently. Yeah, and it's real frustrating. Although I think I think this game probably predates that that yep. writing by a significant number of years, so. <laughs> And it's, you know, uh, like, it's tempting to just give it give it a pass on, like, oh, well, game design just wasn't as sophisticated at the time. But it's 1999. It's yeah. not that old. Yeah. I, I, I think... think... I'm not going to give it a pass for bad design. But I will say, like, the design is different back then. Yeah. But I, I can still call it out for being, like, yeah. old. Yeah. No, yeah. The... And the... not good. What other what adventure games came out in 1999? Like for comparison. Let's find. Let's find out. Uh, the longest. The longest journey. Yep. So the <laughs> only thing that fast. could have improved this game uh, would have been a duck puzzle. Also, Omicron, the Nomad Soul. I'm beginning to sense a pattern. <laughs> oh God. Uh, Ninety-five. Um, uh, Gabriel Mist, Mist was nineteen ninety-three. Yeah, and I feel like Mist had much better design principles. Mm, Mist had some bad stuff. It wasn't perfect, but I feel like it had a lot of uh, like just standardized like UI UX language that it used throughout. Uh, and that was very evocative, uh, you know. I don't know. I feel like it was a lot more consistent. And yeah, that, maybe. That that's but, like six years before. But Mist was also like one of the biggest games. That's true. Like it's it, it's Mist is a is a high bar to be compared to for sure. 
Yeah, I've I've got a list of games, but uh, honestly, other than The Longest Journey and uh, Omicron, I I don't know a lot about most. Like, there's a Discworld game. Yeah. Uh, that came out in '99. There's a Star Trek game that came out in '99. Looks like there was a lot of there's a lot of adventure games. Like the heyday of the adventure games was like the early to mid '90s. Yeah. Um. So like there was already a lot of like conventional language in the West at least of how to do this. I don't know much about like what the Japanese visual novel scene was like in the late '90s or mid '90s. So it'd be interesting to see it in like if anybody you know if anybody is listening to this and wants to like you know write in and tell us tweet us or, or put in the forum like a, a kind of a breakdown of the context in which this game was made like historically I would be super interested to know about that yeah I'm let's see if I can find a list of I have no mouth and I must scream was 1995 I was, I was gonna say that was definitely not 99 uh... <laughs> I would say, like, late 90s was, like, a big visual novel boom, but I'm not sure. I might be making this up entirely. Yeah. And I, I, I almost want to say that, like, 1999, in terms of adventure games, was far enough after when the bubble had burst that people who were working with the genre maybe didn't see as much value in sticking to the conventions of the genre. It could be. Uh, to what extent Suda was even aware of the the U.S. conventions, though? Yeah, you know? that's true. Right? Like, um, I don't know how much uh, penetration, like, the American adventure game genre had in Japan. Yeah, I, I have no idea either, so... Yeah, who knows? It's weird when these kind of stuff like blow up in one region, but yeah. So um, like adventure game in Europe, it, like Sierra is not a thing. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of a thing, but it's not even close to like Lucas Art. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. And how many years have visual novels existed, and how many years have they had any sort of prevalence in the West? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like even still, they're very niche. Yeah, and and they pretty much only make it to the west in the form of dating sims for the most part. Yeah. And yeah. even then it's just a few or they're ones that have just been developed in the west that yeah. are basically I don't know, sort of pretty far removed I guess from like what I expect from a, a Japanese visual novel, but uh. it'd be interesting to find some kind of like interview with Suda, if if there's any place that he lists like who his influences are, or like what games you know he finds inspirational, and kind of like where his headspace is at, I would be I would be curious to know, because he seems like clearly a very odd dude. Um, so I'm looking on on Wikipedia. Uh, I mean, it feels like the earlier you get, the weirder his games are. Yeah. So all thing has become less esoteric over time. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm looking like the the first sentence that I saw that sounded related was uh, his design was influenced by a large range of media from books to film to television. Many of those he used for influence for the Silver Case crossed over with Suda's own taste. His drawings, <laughs> yeah. 
Oh wait, no, that that wasn't even about Suda. That was about the the uh, character designer ah. who did the illustrations. I liked the illustrations a lot, by the way. Uh, I don't I don't know if I said it, but I I liked the style. Of, I liked the illustrations. Them, but I had yeah. some issues with the like. It was hard to recognize characters. Sometimes. Yeah, they yeah. A lot of them looked very, especially female characters looked very samey, uh, very frequently. Yeah. They like, had the anime face syndrome. Yeah, it's like female it. female characters and younger male characters were all very similar looking. Yeah, they had a they had a sequence in the the case with the two boys where you find uh, the the female cop off duty. And I had no idea who she was supposed to be. Oh yeah, because like her hair was down. Yeah. And and even even between transmitter and placebo, the the illustrations are completely different styles. So you see the main character of placebo in transmitter, but he looks completely different because he's just illustrated in a completely different way. <laughs> and then you see it from. Oh yeah, that was exactly what you said. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, I, I got you. Not bad. Uh, yeah, so. I pay attention. Oh, this is interesting. Suda's focus on the activities of a serial killer was in reaction to government censorship on general media following the Kobe child murders and its resultant controversy. Hmm. I feel. I feel also like there's a lot of like contemporary uh, Japanese news. And politics that it would probably be really beneficial to have some basic knowledge of that we just don't. Context. Yeah, yeah that's probably true. Uh, we are judging this in a very handicapped sort of way. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Before writing the scenario, the team created the setting and social structure with the main crime as the central event, rather than focusing on a particular character. The game instead looked at characters on either side of the crime, with the main theme being described as human power versus human power. This theme, in addition to delving into justice, evil, and sin during the narrative, was intended by Suda to make the game original within its genre. So right off the bat, Suda was just trying to make something different from anything else, I guess. <laughs> Which makes sense. Yeah, and trying to tackle some pretty heavy issues, it sounds like. Although, you know, with arguable success. Yeah. Um, let's see. The character of Kusabi was based by Suda on his own ideal future vision of himself. <laughs> Kamui came from his... That's, kind of, that's kind of astonishing considering he, uh, he reads like the most cliche noir detective. Yeah. Um, Kamui came from his contemplation on what made someone a serial killer. Uh, in addition to the Kobe murders, Suda drew inspiration from the film Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Huh, that's interesting. I've actually watched that movie. Um, another inspiration was Jean-Luc Godard's film Nouvelle Vague, which I am not familiar with. Okay, maybe, so maybe Suda is just, at, like, above us all intellectually. That is also a possibility. That's what I'm gonna assume. <laughs> we just don't get him. He's too deep. Maybe. That's Which, interesting. What, now, with, what with the characters named Big Dick and all. <laughs> yeah. And like Ice of Immortality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. That they start throwing in the like supernatural stuff so late into the game. Well, 
there's the there's the ghost boy in the uh in the Yeah, but you can like assume that it wasn't actually the ghosts. Yeah, that's true. They do leave you an out for that one. Honestly, or, like he's just mental. Yeah, I I think I think one of the more baffling parts of this game though, um which I don't think we've addressed, is that uh after Big Dick's entire squad gets killed like he he can't speak and he clearly has PTSD. Why would you make a a person who is not talkative who has PTSD a detective? Why would you recruit him to the heinous crimes unit? How does yep. that work? And like I I assume that at some point he starts talking again, but they never really mention it. So like I just like So they, we don't know. Maybe he yeah. doesn't. Yeah, like there's the part in um Okay, the deaf guy never talks much either, presumably. <laughs> well, yeah, but he has entire conversations with with Kusabi, which is like, I don't know. I know. I'm just saying they might be the, as a as a group. They might be used to kind of oddballs amongst yeah, their I, I detectives. Mean, it, it seems like they definitely are. Um, but like, there's the part in in the um, the case with the the two boys where Big Dick. It gets tasked with going around and questioning everybody in the building. And as I was playing that segment, I just imagined him knocking on the door and then staring blankly at everybody. That's right. They can respond to your questions as though you're asking specific things. Yeah. Like, or at least mentioning specific names. Maybe you have photos of the people and you're just holding up the photos. Yeah, maybe. Or like, yeah, or like you have, <laughs> yeah. A, have a pad of paper and you like write your questions out so you have a photo of a dead kid and like a, a notepad that says where is he? <laughs> have you seen him? It's all interpretive dance. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The possibilities are endless, really. They are. Uh, shoot, there's one more thing I was going to say about Owl. Oh, well. Uh, no, I was gonna bring up the fucking quizzes, quiz question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, there's, it seems like every case has like one mechanic that you do that's like a weird little puzzle thing, or at least in the parts I played so far. Uh, and in the one with the two boys, they just literally ask you 100 sequential quiz questions, multiple choice, um, and you have 10 seconds to answer each of them. And some of them have to do with the case that you're currently playing, which I didn't even really get to read them because I was so time pe- pressured to answer the questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but yeah, then, and some of it's just general trivia. Yeah, some it's just weird trivia, like what year did the PlayStation 2 come out? <laughs> and some of it's like general trivia about current events in Japan. Yeah. In 1999. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and and they they talk about how like everybody on the heinous crimes unit basically has gone through this gauntlet of quiz questions and they're like yeah Kusabi got up to three hundred questions and and Morikawa did two hundred and and like yeah and so you do I I actually I ended up looking up the answers because I was like I wonder what will happen if I get them all right and what happens is your boss is like yeah that's pretty good I guess but I'm not impressed like. Don't think this makes you a great detective or anything, which is exactly correct. Yeah. Uh, but also kind of disappointing, I, I guess. Yeah. 
<laughs> is, is that not what happens if you don't get all the questions? I assume that was the answer in any case. I'm sure the dialogue is just a little bit different. Um, I think it's pretty much the same. Yeah, I, I think that a... was what he was saying to me, at least. Yeah. Well, when you get a question wrong, how does it does it just like make a sound and move on to the next question, or like what happens? I think you can't. I think as soon as you get one wrong, you're just out. It just stops. Yeah. No. It doesn't. Oh, okay. Never mind. I did not do that many questions without getting a single one wrong. No. Oh. I don't every, believe that. Every time you get a question right, it makes a little like little song. Uh. So I, I don't know if it still does that if you get them wrong, but... I do know that you get an achievement for getting them all right. Yeah. So, and that's it's probably a, it's the It's an only achievement thing. called Your Score is in Your Heart, yes. or You Know Your Score in Your Heart. Yeah. Um, there's the, the, the walkthrough I, I was using was, like, a walkthrough that also, like, has you get all the achievements, um, which I didn't actually do because I didn't follow some of their setups. Uh, but there seem to be, like, there's a lot of sort of oddball ones. And this is one of those games where they lock all the achievements ahead of time, mm -hmm. so you don't know what you have to do in order to get them. Yeah. So there's one, I think, for, like, taking the most efficient route possible to knock on everyone's door in the, uh, apartment building. Oh, and, really? like, but, but, like, visiting every <laughs> single node with, like, the least possible backpedaling or something like that. Hmm. Interesting. I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's the actual criteria for it, but I didn't. I did visit all the areas, and I did not get the achievement, so I assume that it's something slightly, some variation on that. Yeah. I don't know. This was a weird game. Um, as I said, like recommended with very strong caveats of like it has to be the sort of thing that you know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Uh, do we have anything else to say on this one? Mm, nah. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Alright. Uh, so let's talk about our next game then. Uh, which we're going to be playing, which is The Swapper. Yay! Uh, so Yay. The Swapper is a Finnish game. By which I mean from Finland, not like, you know, it's finished or not finished. Um... That was oh no did I close my I had like a little Google window where I was going to read from about the game but I apparently closed it accidentally. Uh, it's by Facepalm Games. Um, it is a puzzle game where you make clones of yourself. It was uh, 2013. Sorry, uh, so 2013 game um, puzzle game where you have like a little gun that shoots clones of yourself, uh, and the clones all copy your movements exactly. And so it's just, you know, about puzzles of, like, figuring out where to drop clones, and then sometimes you can't drop clones certain places, and sometimes, like, you'll die if you fall too far, and you have to... I don't know. It looks interesting. Uh, it got a bit of buzz when it came out um, as being kind of like a, a, you know, a challenging but intriguing kind of indie puzzle game. Sort of an interesting art style. It's a bit difficult to describe. It looks a little bit like not quite paper doll like, but um, I don't know. People play it, see what you think, decide for yourself. Um, and yeah, we'll do some puzzling. 
do some puzzling with some little astronaut peoples. And hopefully, uh, hopefully talking about that will be a lot more straightforward than talking about this. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Jesus. If it's not, then we're in trouble. Yeah. And you can talk to rocks. Can you? You can. Good to know. Hmm. Pro okay. tip for people going yeah. into playing this proper. Yeah. It's also Steam sales on Steam summer sales on Steam right now. So like tons of stuff is half off. So if the swapper is not on sale now, it probably will be before the end of Steam sales. So uh, let me let me just do a quick looky loo. It is currently eighty one percent off. It is two dollars and eighty four cents. Yeah, you can pay that. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, for for less than three dollars, you can get the the swapper. And. Uh, I think this is another one of those games that odds are good you might already have it because I believe I got it in a humble bundle. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, it was definitely one of those games that was like in a lot of places for a long time. So yeah, so uh, check your check your humble library and see if you got it. And if not, th- three bucks ish. Yep. All right, so you've got two weeks to play that. Probably, unless we have to delay again. Uh, so try it, and then come talk to us about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, plugs, I guess. I was going to say, Kelso, if they want to talk to you about being a guest in the show, how can they contact you? Uh, you can contact me on Twitter, at Kelso Timebomb, or uh, you can tweet the, the podcast Twitter, at Feedback Force. And, uh... Either way, the result will be the same. You will be talking to me. Uh, so, you know, just do 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 what feels right. Follow your heart. Your your preferred method of communication is in your heart, I guess, as it were. So I feel like talking of trying to talk about this game has like destroyed my brain a little bit. Uh, and I'm 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 glad that I've successfully made it to the end of the episode. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Kelso Time Bomb. And your art Twitter. And my art Twitter, which I have not posted anything on in a long time because I haven't really done anything worthy of posting. But that's at KTimebombArt. If... I've been drawing. I've been drawing my dragons from Flight Rising. Aww. Because so many good. people on my Tumblr are doing it, I felt left out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, no, I have, I have nothing else to say. Tell us more about uh, where we can find your drawings of dragons. Uh, I might post it on Twitter if I like how it uh, comes out. Yeah. I will probably, if I post it, end up posting it, I'll probably post it on my Tumblr, which I don't think I've ever linked in this section. But I do have a Tumblr. Um, it's cagedt.tumblr.com because Caged Tiger was taken, uh, spelled with a K. Uh, so if you want to, you know, see me reblog pictures of Will and Hannibal kissing, like, you can follow me on Tumblr. That's, um, that is worthy content. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Kyla underscore go. That's where I tweet about my uh, stream schedule, among other things. I've also been retweeting a lot of game dev stuff lately. So if you're, you know, like looking to hire people, I, I retweet everyone's resume whenever I find it on my dash. Nice. Um, so you could do that. Uh, the, the stream in question that I normally do on Sundays when my back is not injured um, is twitch.tv slash cagetiger spelled with K. Cool. Cool. 
And I am at Skaggy3 on Twitter. Yay. Yeah. And that's the end of the podcast. The minimalist plug. Congrats. We made it to the end. <clears throat> yeah, we made it to the end. I'm <laughs> trying to discuss the silver Yeah. I knew that it was going to be a struggle to talk about. I, I don't it think I, no I don't think I fully realized though. <laughs> so, uh, so next week, yeah, we'll be talking about the swapper. It should hopefully be a lot in more straightforward. Weeks. Yeah, sorry, in two weeks, um, hopefully, uh, uh, and it should probably be a lot more straightforward uh, and less tiring. To t- like, I feel like I gotta go take a nap now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so I'm gonna go I'm gonna go take a nap and we will be back in two weeks. Thanks for All listening. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye.